Welcome to Take Notes, SMB Global Rating's structured finance podcast and the credit events of your day. Tune in as your hosts, Jim Manzi and Tom Shoplocker, explore hot topics across the structured finance and global markets. Welcome to the Take Notes podcast. This is your host, Jim Manzi. With me today are Evan Gunter, Steve Anderberg, and Dan Hu. The topic of today's podcast is U.S. CLO default history. Along that vein, we have published an article titled U.S. CLO defaults as of March 17, 2022, Uh, but today is March 23rd, 2022. So let's get through the numbers. Uh, Let's get right into it. Uh, Evan, um, how many U.S. CLO tranche defaults have there been? So thanks, Jim. Uh, So far, we've seen 50 U.S. CLO tranche defaults uh, so far in our data. In the grand scheme of the data history for CLOs, uh, it's really a a very small number. Uh, Our CLO data and ratings go back to the mid to late 1990s. And over that time, there have been over 16,000 US CLO tranches that have been rated. So as I said, 50 of those uh, defaulted. Uh, We define a default for the purposes of our ratings performance studies as when the rating on the tranche goes to D or to SD. And these can include payment defaults as well as legal or technical defaults. Uh, When we get into the numbers a little bit more, uh, 40 of those 50 defaults were CLO 1.0s. And the first of these stretched all the way back to 2002. Back in 2002, we had far fewer CLO ratings, uh, far fewer ratings that were outstanding. And in that year, uh, the spec grade CLO default rate uh, set its all-time high of 2.5%. But since then, the spec grade CLO default rate has held relatively low. Uh, it's been below 1% annually uh, since 2002. Uh, by contrast, we see more frequent defaults from spec grade corporates. Uh, those have an average annual default rate that's closer to 4%. Evan, following up on that, uh, which rating categories have seen defaults and how high up the stack uh have they been on a original rating basis? Yeah, so uh, if we look at the rating of the CLO uh, from its initial rating, so the the rating of that CLO at inception, about two thirds of the defaults were of tranches that were initially rated spec grades, so double B plus or lower. Uh, the highest of the CLO defaults from initial rating that we've seen was double A. So there have been no AAA, uh, no CLO defaults uh, that were initially rated AAA. Uh, there was one in our rating history that was AA. It was something of a, uh, a special case, uh, the Landmark 2 CDO. Uh, Dan, do you want to uh, provide us a little bit of background on that deal? Sure, Evan. So this particular default was due to uh, missed interest on a non-deferrable tranche, and this deal closed back in 2002. Um, so the default happened in 2010 when the trustee escrowed the notes uh, interest from AA and below uh, after filing an interpleader action with the U.S. courts. So we lowered our rating to D due to non-payment of timely interest on a non-deferrable note. After the case was resolved, the deferred balance was paid back in full with interest on interest, and we raised our rating back to a performing rating. And shortly after, about a year after, the full principal balance of this tranche was repaid in full, and we withdrew our ratings in 2011. Okay. Uh, thank you for that, Dan. I guess, Evan, any more color we can provide on the timing of defaults uh, post-GFC? 
Yeah, you know, one thing that we find interesting in uh, CLO defaults and CLO default rates is that those uh, those defaults tend to lag. You tend to see an increase in CLO defaults that don't coincide uh, with the increase in default rates in underlying corporate issuers. Uh, so, for instance, uh, we had a very mild uptick in the uh, spec grade uh, CLO default rate in 2009, in the middle of the GFC. Uh, so it, in 2009, the CLO default rate uh, for spec grade stood about half a percent. Uh, but it continued rising after that, uh, even as uh, corporate default rates had a spike in 2009 and then quickly fell off after 2009. Uh, we had a very minor increase in CLO default rates, uh, went up uh, to about 0.6% in 2011. Uh, and then out in 2014, uh, some of those defaults were still coming out and you had a default rate that rose up to 0.8%. At that time, uh, from that stress and the underlying uh, corporate credit uh, to the eventual default in the CLOs, you do have a decline in the ratings of the CLOs. Uh, so I mentioned before the uh, performance of CLO ratings from that rating at inception. Uh, but that's also, uh, aside from that, we also look at what CLOs are rated at before their eventual default. Uh, and those CLOs that did default tended to be downgraded uh, quite a bit uh, before their eventual default. Uh, so I mentioned before that over a third of CLOs, which eventually defaulted, uh, were first rated investment grade. Uh, but when we look at the ratings of CLOs before their default, uh, if you look at the one to five year horizon uh, default rates for investment grade, uh, those are practically zero. Uh, we only start to see defaults from CLOs that are investment grade uh, more than six years after that, uh, more than six years out uh, from that investment grade rating. Okay, got it. Thank you, Evan. Um, I guess continuing on that vein, Steve, um, we have some CLO tranches that we think are uh, potential candidates for future default. Can you give us some uh, information on how we should think about these? Sure. Thanks, Jim. So right now, in addition to the 50 U.S. CLO tranche defaults that have occurred historically over the past couple of decades, we have some additional U.S. CLO tranches we view as potential candidates for future default based on the ratings we currently have assigned. And before we get into the numbers, I'll start by pointing out that S&P has separate criteria that apply to triple C category and double C ratings, uh, not just for CLOs, but across structured finance and ratings generally. So for ratings of single B and higher, we use our CLO criteria, including CDO evaluator and cash flow evaluator. And then for ratings below the single B category, we use the triple C criteria. And this is because when rating structured finance issues of triple C or below, it's easier to foresee a specific default scenario and develop transaction-specific default patterns to determine whether or not a tranche can be rated at a given level. So an obligation rated triple C is currently vulnerable to non-payment and is dependent upon favorable business, financial, and economic conditions in order to meet its financial commitment. Typically, CLO tranches that have a triple C plus rating are fully covered by performing assets, although some of this performing asset coverage may be from companies with triple uh, C ratings themselves. CLO tranches rated triple C flat typically have little to no performing asset coverage, and CLO tranches rated triple C minus are typically underwater. That is, 
there, there, isn't, there aren't enough performing assets to cover the outstanding balance of the notes. Uh, and in order for the notes to pay off in full, that would require at least some of the current defaulted assets or assets from defaulted companies to pay off at par. Uh, and finally, for CLO tranches rated double C, we think uh, eventual default is a virtual certainty. So for future CLO tranche defaults, I would look at tranches rated triple C flat and below. We currently have six US CLO tranches rated triple C flat, one tranche rated triple C minus, and another three tranches rated double C. Got it. Thanks. That's uh, very interesting, Steve. Um, I guess, Dan, turning to you for CLO 2.0 tranches that have defaulted in the aftermath of the pandemic. Is there any patterns that we can identify um, by vintage, by experience, uh, by timing, et cetera? Yeah, Jim. Uh, so given the diversified nature of CLO portfolios, uh, CLO tranche default would really take a broad economic um, stress, um, some, something like a GFC or a pandemic from uh, 2020. But before that, during the reinvestment period, the CLO manager take, makes trades to optimize the portfolio. After the reinvestment period ends, the transaction enters an amortization period where the CLO manager is no longer able to reinvest into new loans. And instead, the cash is returned to CLO investors based on seniority. Most of the CLOs that have defaulted were amortizing in the middle of an economic slowdown uh, at a time where the CLO manager has limited options to reposition the portfolio. Some of these deals went through uh, two recessions, for instance, the 1.0s, some of them went through both the dot-com bubble as well as uh, the GFC during their amortization period. All of the CLO 2.0 defaults so far are from earlier vintage uh, 2014 and earlier. In hindsight, these transactions were slightly overweight in energy and experienced credit deterioration during the energy slowdown in 2016. So within their re reinvestment periods, the managers tried to reduce exposure to energy and might have reinvested into other sectors like software and hotels. These transactions then exited their reinvestment periods around 2018 and started paying down their senior notes uh, before entering the pandemic in 2020. At that point, the manager really had limited options as loan prices during the pandemic had fallen sharply, making liquidation next to impossible. Got it. So it sounds like there's more or less a, a typical path to default. Um... Can you give a little more on kind of the hallmarks or the signs that we see or observe? CLOs are portfolios of spec rate credit. So during the life of the CLO, typically there will be some form of credit deterioration. A CLO with a weakened portfolio may be an unlikely candidate for a reset, which means the transaction will enter the amortization period. Once in the amortization period, if it's during a benign period with low defaults, CLO note paydowns should be gradual, and the equity investor will at some point make a call to liquidate the portfolio, and all proceeds will go down to pay off all the remaining CLO notes first, and the residual will go to CLO equity. Normally, for a transaction that has not gone through a significant deterioration, the residual is a considerable amount of money for CLO equity. However, if the transaction has gone through credit deterioration, or if it is amortizing during a recession, the expected liquidation value of the portfolio might be low. The CLO equity investor may prefer to wait for loan prices to recover and also to receive a few more equity distributions as opposed to liquidating the, the deal and receiving a lower final distribution. 
So waiting really exposes the CLO to additional defaults, especially during a recession uh, where the uh, CLO manager cannot do anything to help the portfolio. Some of the CLO defaults that have already reached a point where they are cut off from equity payments due to failing co coverage tests and the portfolio has low liquidation values uh, that might not even cover the rated notes in full, meaning the CLO equity will not get anything. In this case, there is little incentive for CLO equity to call the deal and thus the deal just drags on longer. In order to clean up call a transaction that is underwater, the CLO has to get consent from the underwater notes to receive less than the principal balance. If the notes are not paid their full principal balance in full on the final payment date, we would lower the rating to D. Okay, thanks, Dan. So um, let's look a little bit more at one of those situations. So Steve, what, what happens if a default is looming and the investors agree to receive less than the principal balance uh, at close? Uh, could this avoid having a rating set to D? Sure. You know, the short answer is that you can't vote your way out of a D rating. Uh, many U.S. CLO indentures give note holders the ability to accept less than the outstanding amount of the notes in the case of an optional redemption with the unanimous vote. However, this optionality does not amend S&P's rated promise. When, in our view, an instrument breaches the rated promise, we will lower the rating to D as we consider it a defaulted instrument under our ratings definitions. Uh, I'll point out that this is different from a CLO document provision, which allows the notes to be called at less than par from the outset, uh, such as a call provision allowing a call at 98% of par. These can be rateable if the call provision allows the issuer to call the instrument uh, at less than par from the outset. The redemption value upon the call is um, known in advance and not affected by credit or market conditions. There is a high level of transparency and a low likelihood that the call provision could be misunderstood when an instrument is sold. And finally, that the, the possibility of a call at less than par is reflected in the pricing of the instrument at origination. Great. Thank you, Steve. Um, that'll wrap up this edition of Take Notes. Uh, thank you to Steve Anderberg, Dan Hu, and Evan Gunter for joining us. And we'll see you next time. To subscribe to Take Notes or to view our analyst research, go to spglobal.com forward slash ratings. Thank you for listening to Take Notes with Jim Manzi and Tom Schopflocker.